In our Bible class this morning, uh, we talked about Jesus, continuing to talk about him and talking about um, him being the actual embodiment of the age to come or the coming age and how eternal life is not necessarily defined or limited to uh, bliss after we die, going to some place where that's when we get eternal life. But however, eternal life or the coming age is here and now, and we are called to be a part of that as the family of God. And the effect of that is really seen in how we live our lives. It's, it's not just a lifestyle change that we make when we become Christians so that maybe someday later in the future we'll reap a reward from it, but... It's actually a, a different way of looking things that I can start living the eternal life now and, uh, and, and enjoying some of the fruits and the benefits of that now and later on, God will take care of the stuff I can't take care of uh, in, in the age to come. And so we were called, it says in the last few verses, which we didn't actually get time to read, <laughs> uh, in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, which was to live a life worthy of the calling. Live a life worthy of being a citizen of the coming life. But if we're going to live a life worthy, what does that mean? How do I live that life? What is that calling me to do? Now, last week here on Sunday, we talked about Jesus being declared Lord. Jesus being elevated to all authority, as he said in Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And as we've read in Ephesians, that God appointed him head over everything for the church. God put his name above every other name. And so we talked about how Jesus is Lord, and we're starting to build. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Jesus is Lord. Now our response to that. What does that mean? Really, Jesus is Lord. Last week I made a statement. Okay, I said that. The statement, basically, and like it, I can do nothing to earn my salvation, therefore I don't need to do anything but believe. And I stated that that was a very incomplete view of the lordship of Jesus and of the gospel. In short, the gospel cannot be accurately summarized, if you will, by simply saying, I trust that Jesus paid his price for me, so I'm saved. Or saying something like, Faith in Jesus' death for my sins saves me as a free gift apart from my actions. Or even saying, I'm saved because I am trusting in Jesus' righteousness alone. Now, these are great sayings. They sound super spiritual, and in some ways they, they are very spiritual. And they do contain, though, truth, but only partial. And that's what I want to look at today. Because even though that these statements are going to be said by literally thousands of pastors across the country today, it's incomplete and therefore often confuses the content of the gospel and the true nature of the word faith and the word belief. And that's what we're going to get to. And what I mean by confusing, you see, some can say, well, look, now that I've prayed this prayer, I've, I've satisfied God, Right? I'm on the right road, uh, I got my ticket punched, if you will, so now I can cross that off my bucket list and I can get on with living my life. Or if I'm maybe a bit more spiritual, I could say, uh, I'll try to have, live a little bit better now, but, you know, works don't really matter, and I certainly don't want to fall into trying to 
get my righteousness by faith, by my works. I don't want to fall into that trap, so I'm not going to worry about it too much. When we start to focus on what's going on and, and I, all I got to do is believe the right thing, then what we develop is a, a salvation by intelligence. I just have to know the right thing. And that's really hard. Now, none of us would really ever say, oh, I don't have to worry about my life. We wouldn't get that far. Except maybe when I'm really, really, really tempted <laughs> with something I really, really, really want. And then that's always an easy fallback on when I'm trying to justify doing something that something's telling me maybe I shouldn't go that way. But I don't really want to fight it and I don't really want to live it. That type of thinking also, guys, it, it challenges many other scriptures in the, in, in the Bible. And the general Christian world, I am very glad to say, is now starting to wrestle with these things. And starting to realize that it's, it doesn't fit. That, that mentality, that statement, that all I have to do is believe and I'm all set. It's not what I do. Doesn't really mesh with other scriptures. Like, for instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Now, here's what Paul says. He goes, guys, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what is due us for things that are done while in the body, whether good or bad. He says, we got to sit before the judgment seat and we receive what we are due, what, what, what we deserve. And what determines that? Well, he does say four things that have been done while I'm in the body, whether good or bad. How does that work? Jesus himself said in Matthew 12, 36, he said, But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. So our Lord is saying there's a judgment and I got to give an account for the words that come out of my face. All right. And that's our Lord talking. Paul also says of himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, okay, verses 26 and 27. He's talking about his own walk as a disciple of Jesus, how he looks at it. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer who is uh, beating the air. No, I strike a bow to, blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He's saying there's something about what I do that could disqualify me for the prize. Therefore, I have to be disciplined. I have to discipline myself and my actions and what I do so that I won't be disqualified. Right. Now, even if some of these things are metaphorical and hyperbolic and, and what they say, we see from just these few passages, and there are many, 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 many more, that to find eternal life, my actions do play a big part of it. What I do has an effect. Jesus reiterates this over and over. Jesus said, you got to enter through the narrow gate. you got to do that, he said in Matthew 7. He said, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. He said, you got to give up homes and friends and family. He says, if you got something in your life, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your left, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Okay, again, being somewhat uh, uh, exaggerating there, but saying, look, if there's something in your life that ain't right, you've got to go after it and deal with it. You've got to stand firm in testifying about Jesus 
Even in the face of great persecution, he said in Luke 21, you've got to be able to be there and serving and giving and providing food, water, hospitality, clothes to the least of Jesus' brothers, he said. There are things that we are called not just to do, but he says if you don't do this, you won't inherit the eternal life. So it creates this confusion. Is it faith or works? Is it faith and works? Is it faith that produces works? We come up with a lot of different things to try to merge these things together. But I've been really looking through this, and again, a lot of people in the quote-unquote Christian community are coming to believe and understand that the real key is understanding that we have misunderstood the meanings of the word faith or belief. Because words are important, and understanding them is vital. Okay, getting the right definition, and particularly if it's a word that was written 2,000 years ago in another language in another part of the world. Because words change meaning, even in our own part of the world, in our own language, just English language. Let's take for the word, instance, the word nice. It's a good word. It's a nice word. Okay? He's such a nice guy. He's such a nice girl. They're nice. Now, some of us look down on nice. But actually, the, the original meaning of nice was ignorant, silly, or foolish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's such a nice guy. Oh, yeah? You know, it's a, now, on the other side of the coin, the word silly, okay, originally meant things worthy or blessed. And then it kind of morphed into things weak and vulnerable. And then now it's kind of morphed into today, meaning foolish type of a thing. Now, if I'm reading an old English writing and, and talk about this was a nice guy, I might totally misunderstand their assessment of that person. Or she's such a silly girl. I might think, oh, this is kind of foolish, you know, Immature, silly. No. What they meant was something totally opposite. But you've got to understand that. Here's another example. The word hussy. Ew, she's such a hussy. <laughs> no one wants to be called a hussy. Except the original meaning of hussy is a housewife. A housewife. The mistress of the house was a hussy. And not what it means today. It would be important to know the meaning of the words. Nice. You want to fully understand some certain things. And then sometimes, you know, like I said, when you, when you look at the Bible, you're looking at something that was written in another language. And some of these words have only changed meanings in the past few hundred years. We're talking 2,000 years okay, of, of, of the evolution of terms. But even going back into, like, the King James Version. Okay, which even what some of the songs today we sang, I noticed, have some of it creeping in. You know, thou art and thou and thee. Tis so sweet to trust and thou art with me till the end. I kind of change them as I sing. I just say you are with me because that's the way I talk. Yeah. But we, that, it's not just the these and thou. <laughs> I remember one time I was on, on, on vacation. I was a lot younger, but I went with my mom and grandma, blah, 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 blah. We went over to England and actually saw one of the original copies of the King James Version. Wow. Okay, and it was in the museum and all this stuff. Could not read it. The English was so different than what we say and talk about. And I'm not just talking about American English. Just English. 
It was unreadable. I knew what the passage was. I know what it was supposed to be saying. I'm going, I don't know what in the world they're talking about. It was so different. It's kind of like Shakespeare. Sometimes you watch Shakespeare and you go, what in the world are they talking about? <laughs> well, they're talking English, but that ain't my English. Because words even change meanings. There's passages that talk about suffer the little children to come to me. What? Suffer the children? It means don't prevent them to come to me. But we don't, suffer doesn't mean that to us today. That's what it meant back in the 1600s. So we understand words. Now let's look at the words for faith and belief. It's the same word that's translated both. Okay? It is a Greek word, pistis. Okay? P-I-S-T-I-S. All right? And this is the word that is translated, for the most part, faith and belief. And it does hold at sometimes the extent of the meaning of accepting as true. I have faith that God exists, that type of thing. But it has a much broader range of meaning that we don't understand today because we don't use it that way today. It means reliable, confidence, assurance, fidelity. That's the first one. But then there's fidelity, faithfulness, commitment, and a pledged loyalty. What was that? That, that was your picture? That's not me. What, was that you? Did your phone just might start playing noise? Okay, that's so embarrassing when that happens. <laughs> when interpreting the Bible, we've got to understand our first task is to understand what the guy who was writing it or the woman who ever was writing it, what did they mean by those words? What were they thinking that word meant? Second thing is when the people who are hearing it what did they think when they heard that word? Okay, we got to try to figure out those types of things as we're reading and understand. What if Jesus, when he talked about having faith and believing, meant confidence, fidelity, faithfulness, commitment, a pledge of loyalty? But the 21st century person reads it and says, I accept it to be true. They think it means that. Now, the word I like best to actually translate faith and believe is allegiance. That's why you saw that beginning slide. I pledge allegiance. When we think about the word P-I-S-T-A-P-I-S-T-I-S, if we translated it allegiance for the most part, it would completely change our understanding of what God calls us to. The word allegiance means a loyalty or a commitment of a subordinate to a superior. And if we think about this, when you say I'm saved by faith, you say I'm saved by allegiance. I'm saved by loyalty. Let me give you some examples. There was this guy, this is about 150 B.C., about 150 years before Jesus came on the scene. Um, there was a war going on in Israel, and there was this guy, King Demetrius, okay? And what he was trying to do was rally the people in Jerusalem around him for this war. They had been on his side, but he wanted to really solidify uh, this, uh, this, this alliance. Uh, this was in the Maccabean War. If you probably heard those phrases in the Catholic Bible, you even have the first and second Maccabees, which is, were written uh, concerning this time. And here's what, in his letter, King Demetrius said, he said, King Demetrius to the nation of the Jews, greetings. 
Since you have kept your agreement with us and have continued your friendship with us and have not sided with our enemies, we have heard of it and are rejoiced. Now continue to keep faith, this exact same word, pistis, with us, and we will repay you with good for what you have done for us. And just a few lines later, he promises that some of the Jews are going to be put into positions that will be demanding loyalty or pistis, same word. Because they're going to be administrative leaders uh, or in the government or stuff. He's saying, guys, I want you to continue to keep allegiance. Not keep believing that I exist. Not keep believing in me that I am the king or the one who's ruling. But continue in your allegiance to me. As a matter of fact, some of you are going to be put into positions that are going to demand allegiance. Because you're going to be put into positions of authority in governing and ruling. He uses the exact same word. Now we use a time a little closer to Jesus. In the A.D. 60, about 30 30 years after Jesus had died and was resurrected, uh, Israel found itself in another war. Okay, this time with Rome. If you'll remember the fall of Jerusalem, Rome came in, finally wiped them out, destroyed the temple uh, for the second and final time. Uh, There was a guy, Josephus. He was a general. This is not the same Josephus as sometimes you hear about the histories and stuff. This was a guy who was a general. And what was happening is a very unorganized war. There were rebels all over the place, little factions fighting. He's trying to band them all together. We need to solidify. We've got to stand up against this Roman army, which, which they failed to do. But in doing so, he, he reports, and this is in his autobiography, he reports an incident where he urged the rebel leaders to, and I quote, repent and believe in me. Okay? Using the exact same language that Jesus used in Mark 1.17 when he said, you know, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe in me. See, Josephus wanted these other guys to join him in supporting this Jewish cause, and he wanted them to show allegiance. So to him, repent and believe in me means turn away from your present course of action And be loyal to me. That's what he talks about. Now, what if Jesus could say, I can hear him now saying the kingdom of God is near. Change your present course of action and be loyal to the good news. See, it changes the meaning when just believing the good news. But it calls me to an action. It calls me to a commitment. Repent, change your course, and be loyal to to the good news. Because that's actually an exact translation of what those words would mean. Now, certainly not every time the word pistis is used, it should be translated that way. But it's pretty easy to tell because other times it will say, you know, you believe in God. Or you believe in this thing. And you understand, he's talking about, do you believe it exists? That this happened? And it's easy to tell by the context where it should go, but the best a most accurate macro term available to us to describe what God calls us for eternal life is allegiance. I pledge. I'm saved by allegiance. Now, Romans is one of the biggest books that we look at in the Bible that talks about I'm saved by faith. Okay, so let's talk to Romans 1. Romans 1.17 is a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, 
just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And he's quoting Habakkuk on that, the righteous will live by faith from Habakkuk 2.4. Now, first of all, I, I, I'm getting into this just a little bit, but that first, that the righteous shall live by faith from first to last. If you do go back to the Greek, what it really says is, is the righteous will live by faith for faith. We're going by faith for faith type of a thing. And then I just write first to last is how the NIV kind of put it here. I think what he's talking about there is Jesus' allegiance. Jesus' faith in God. Does that mean Jesus says, well, I believe God exists. I'm trusting in God that he will. He, of course he knows God exists. He was with God in the beginning. He knows that. No, he goes, my allegiance, my faith is calling you to your faith. My allegiance is calling you to your allegiance, like Mike shared. My allegiance, which says, not my will, but yours. And then the second time he prayed, he even skipped the not my will. He just says, if it's not possible, then your will. Your will be done. Because Jesus' allegiance was to God, even to the point of death. His loyalty was God. And so it is by faith that we are called to faith. It is by his allegiance that we are called to our allegiance. And then he says, the righteous will live by faith. Now, it's hard to explain what that actually means if we're saying the righteous will live by trusting that things are true. If we interpret it that way, it's hard to explain. Well, what, what does that mean? But if I ex- understand it and define it as the righteous will live by allegiance to Jesus, then it makes total sense. Wow. The righteous are going to live by loyalty or allegiance. Now we get down to our application, our so what, okay? So what does all this mean? If this is true, and I believe it is, it redefines and clarifies our walk with Christ and how we live here. It helps us to understand, no, it's not by perfection. It's not by just believing the right stuff. It's not by just doing the right thing. It's about allegiance and loyalty to our Lord. Yeah. It's where we put our priority of life and the decisions I make. It's not just claiming a salvation. Mm-hmm. It's a giving over to the authority that Jesus already has. And saying, I'm now going to be completely committed to him. In his cause. Now, if I do that, yeah, I'm going to tr- strive with everything in me to be as perfect as I can be. Okay? I'm going to try to do that. But my perfection is, I'm not doing it, but perfection, so someday maybe I'll get this reward in heaven or whatever. I'm doing it because he's my Lord. That's why I do this. I am committed. This helps me understand passages like 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. So in 1 John 1, 7 and 8, You know, John says, look, if we are walking in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. Now, he says, if if I'm walking in the light, if I'm on this path, this is my way of life. This is how I am living. This is my decision. Or in other words, this is what I'm loyal to. This is what I'm following. If I do that, which is my part, I've got to do that. 
then Jesus will purify me from it. I will still have sin, but he'll purify me. That's his part. See, I'm powerless to purify me from sin. Jesus can handle that. What I've got to do is say, I've got to get on the right road. I've got to have my allegiance with Jesus. In Galatians chapter, oh, what is it? I think it's chapter 3, verse 26. It says, those of us who were baptized into Christ have clothed ourselves with Christ. If Jesus has an allegiance to God and a loyalty to God, I cannot clothe myself with that allegiance unless I share it. I can't just say, I'm not that aligned with God. Uh, I'm not going to be that loyal, but I'm going to have Jesus be loyal for me. Jesus said, no, it don't fit right. Jesus don't fit. Our allegiances aren't the same. See, I've got to do what I can do. Is it be perfect? No, but it's I'm committed. I'm, I am loyal to Jesus. It's kind of like marriage, okay? We use this example a lot. I've done dozens and dozens and dozens of weddings. And you get people up here and, you know, you talk a little bit about love and marriage and all of that stuff. And then you get to the vows. And then you start saying, okay, for better or for worse, rich or poor, in sickness and in health, faithful and true, till death do you part. And one of them goes, well, I don't know. I, I, whoa. Uh, I'm all for the better, richer, and the healthier part. I like that part. But if it starts getting worse or not better, I might be out of here. If we don't get some coin in here, we ain't going to be poor the rest of our lives, are we? I don't know if I want to hang out for that. If that's what the one part, what do you say when it comes time for you? Ah, no, 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 you don't even know. I ain't even get, I'm not entering into this relationship. What you do when you get married, and yeah, there's love involved and all of that kind of stuff, but what you're doing is, is, no, I'm picking you. And I don't know what the future holds. I don't know if it's better or worse. I don't know if it's rich or poor. I don't know if it's sickness, health. I don't know. But I pick you. And I'm going to be loyal to you. I'm going to put my allegiance, I am pledging my allegiance to you, out of the four million billion other females on this planet, I pick you. Till death do us part. But when I start not having that allegiance now, and that loyalty, and I start putting conditions on there, when I start putting this, that, or the other, now my marriage is in peril. Now there's an opening. Now there's a weakness. And now is where it brings us to where, according to the statisticians, about 50% fail. Not because there wasn't love on that day, but because there wasn't allegiance and loyalty. And it's the same way with our God. God's going, look, I know you're not going to be perfect. Just like that husband and wife, no, they ain't going to be perfect. Hopefully they've been dating long enough to figure that part out. You're not going to, he or she ain't going to be perfect. But I'll stand here and commit to you if you'll stand here and commit to me. We are in this together. And Jesus, I know you're not going to be perfect. I tell you what, though, we got half of this belt, uh, this battle won because Jesus will be perfect. 
So now there's just one of us, <laughs> us. And you say, Jesus, I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to try. And it ain't going to be because I'm not loyal. And it ain't going to be because I'm not giving it everything I got because I pledge my allegiance to you. Well, what happens if it doesn't matter? My allegiance is to you. Yeah, but if I need to go do this or do this or I'm tempted to do that, it doesn't matter. My allegiance is to you. That, Jesus, that's my faith. It's not just my belief. It's my commitment. Repent and have faith in me, Jesus says. Repent and align yourself with me. Number two, not just as I'm not going to be perfect, it's not a situation to where it's about nothing that I can do because there is something for me to do. Even like those verses we looked at before, yeah, there's judgment on something I do. I need to do something, and I better do something. I better pledge and follow through with my allegiance. Again, back to the marriage. Do you take this man? Do you take this woman? Blah, blah, blah. No promises. I'm going to try, but no promises here. You're not ready to get married. I don't have to promise. You should love me without me having to promise you anything. Okay, again, might be a short ceremony, shorter than my usual ones. But when I understand that I pledge my allegiance and I'm going to live my life following through that. It helps me to understand things. Like, like that whole thing in James chapter 2 where he talked about faith and works. Martin Luther, bless his heart, he, he, he worked so hard. He couldn't even figure out how to, 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 to parse this out. So he just basically threw out the whole book of James. Okay? He, he basically that, that book isn't even really that good. We talked about faith without deeds is dead. But what if we said loyalty without deeds is dead. That makes more sense. Allegiance without actions is dead. It's like, it's like having a, uh, 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 a, 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 what do you call that, a country? You know, we have a, a pact with that country. What do we call those things? Uh, Alliance. Treaty. Treaty, yeah, or they're an ally. But they don't show up when you need them. What good are you then? Right? I mean, you're supposed to be our ally. We got a treaty. We had an agreement that if somebody attacks us, you're going to come help us. And somebody comes and attacks and they don't show up. <laughs> we like the agreed, the, the, we like the treaty when we were trading back and forth and it was benefiting us, but now it's going to cost us something. We don't want to get involved. Okay, we'd say, no, that's allegiance without actions. And James says, that's, that's dead. That's useless. It's without meaning. It's, yeah. it's without power. It's not really even faith. It's not really allegiance. It's not really Loyalty. So we got to really understand what this word means and what it calls us to. The righteous will live by allegiance. When I get baptized, and, and as, as, as Michael was saying, you know what, 10 years ago or whatever, almost coming up, it's not just I'm clothing myself with Christ, I'm being united with Christ. I'm saying I am pledging to you. From this day forward till death do us part, I am yours. Whatever you say goes. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my comfort, not my plan, not my agenda, but yours. And I'm pledging that 
to you so that when I clothe myself with Christ, like, like Paul described it in Galatians 3, when I clothe myself with Christ, it fits because I've got the same allegiance he does. It works. It's not two sizes too big or two sizes too small. It fits. Oh, there's much more to say on this. Much more to say. But I want us to consider today our allegiances. Our loyalty. Do you think of yourself? Last week we said, do you think of Jesus as Lord first and foremost? Or do you think of him as Savior? Or genie in a bottle to bless me when I need him? Or as my teacher? Or as my friend? Do you think of him as Lord this week, I say, do I look at myself and say, I am loyal to him. My allegiance, first and foremost, before my marriage, before my family, before my job, before my career, certainly before myself, my allegiance is to him. It's not just obedience, it's the heart behind it. It's not just acceptance. It's allegiance promised and delivered. I'm loyal in public. I'm loyal in private. It doesn't matter. It's not loyalty to a church. It's not loyalty to a doctrine. It's not loyalty to a movement. It's a loyalty and allegiance to Jesus, which may involve his body. As we just read, he's the head of the body, which is the church. But the loyalty is to the head, not the body. Are we saved by faith? Absolutely. Absolutely. But what does that mean? Does it mean I'm saved because I believe the right thing? Is it saved because I just trust him? I believe not. I believe that's part of it. But the core of the word is I'm saved by my allegiance to Jesus. I'm committing to him. The same allegiance he had to God when he said, not my will, but yours be done. It is by faith, for faith, and the righteous will live by faith. Thank you.